I love my wife, an 80-year-old man once said, but God forbid that she would die before me because if she did, I would cry at her funeral out of one eye, but my other eye would be working the crowd to see who would be my next suitor. <laughs> now, the only thing better than being married is being married to the right person. Oh, I love those amens. <laughs> Two people becoming one flesh is intriguing. The exclusivity of the marital bed is exciting. Watching the birth of your children, raising them in a godly home and raising them into young adulthood is rewarding. Working together and pooling your resources as a couple is also rewarding. But marriage is also difficult. I don't need to tell anybody about that except maybe those who are not yet married. Marriage is difficult. Adjustments can be challenging. Working to resolve conflicts and disagreements can be painful. Making sacrifices in the interest of marital harmony can be costly. Now, in honor of Marriage Enrichment Sunday, which today is, we will consider a little concept from a book of the Bible that is perhaps the least read, but it is exclusively devoted to the romantic love between a husband and his wife. The following verse will form our plot, but we will be considering verses from the surrounding context. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, and verse 15 reads like this. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. Now what could catching foxes have to do with marriage? Now, since the conversation that we're going to be looking at, the conversation between King Solomon and his bride is so intimate that it would cause even the best of us to blush, I will spare you of most of the details, but I will only read those parts that are worthy of public consumption. So, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 1 through 17, reads thus. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in your shade, and your fruit is sweet to my taste. Lead me to the banquet hall, and let your banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. Your left arm is under my head, and your right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the doors of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Listen, my beloved, look, here he comes leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind a wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. 
My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone, flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come, the cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit, the blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places of the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. My beloved is mine, and I am his. Now there's nothing comparable to the love between a husband and his wife, except for God's love for his bride, the church, who we are. God loves us immeasurably, immensely. But God put in all of us the capacity to receive and reciprocate passion. Now, some consider the Song of Solomon to be a metaphor for God's love for the church. I think it is a literal expression of romantic love between a husband and wife. And so we read in chapter 1, Kiss me with the kisses of your mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Bring me into your chambers. Now, this is nothing less than a wife who wants to tell us that she finds her husband's kisses desirable. She finds the smell of his cologne irresistible. She finds the privacy of their bedroom suitable. All the wives in this room this morning for whom this is true, would you be brave enough to say amen? Amen. Wow, and my wife was leading the pack on that one. <laughs> let it be noted, let it be noted. <laughs> her husband, on the other hand, finds her attractive, referring to her as my darling. She's captivated by how strong he is, how sweet he is. She refers to him as her apple tree. She loves to sit under the shade, under his shade, and enjoy his sweetness. And so all of the husbands who allow their wives to sit under the apple tree and enjoy their sweetness, would you say, amen? Amen. amen. Now that one sounded a little weak, you know. I mean, uh, that one could have been a little bit stronger if you asked me. All right, but please note that this husband and wife are not merely talking about lilies, apple trees, apples, raisins, and perfumes. They're talking about the delight of physical intimacy and abandoning themselves to each other without shame or guilt. Take me away with you, she says. Let's hurry. Bring me into your chambers, for I am faint with love. Now, you recognize, however, that this kind of intimacy is not open to just any and anyone. Not anyone is entitled to this level of intimacy. Let's listen to this very strong 
word of caution to those who are not yet married. She says, daughters of Jerusalem, some translations say virgins of Jerusalem, meaning unmarried women, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Now she says that three times. And one pastor that I once served with used to say it this way, if it is repeated, it is important. So she says it three times in the book. Now what could she mean by it, and why is she so intent on ensuring that all unmarried people get it? She wants them to know that sexual desire is like a sleeping giant that should never be awakened before marriage. Awaking it before it is time is like letting an untamed horse out of the barn and then trying to corral it again. Or like setting a fire in a forest, watching it blaze and then trying to contain it. Once you awaken sexual desire, getting it back to sleep is almost impossible. So she says, never awaken this giant before the commitment of the marriage bed. Now we come to the foxes that we talked about earlier and the idea of catching them. The verse again reads thus, catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love. For the grapevines are blossoming. That's the New Living Translation. Now, I did a little research on foxes, and I, I came to understand that they're very cunning at trapping their prey. So what they do is that they crouch to camouflage themselves, and then with the, their strong hind legs, they pounce on their prey, and then grip it by the neck and shake it until it is dead. Now, the picture before us is that of a vineyard. And this vineyard is in blossom. The grapevines, and they're all in full blossom. But there are little foxes running around, pouncing on their prey, gripping them in their mouth, shaking them until they die. And all of this activity is ruining the vineyards because the blossoms are going to be shaken off, spoiling any chances of there being grapes to be harvested. Marriage is like a vineyard that is blossoming with the possibility of romance, intimacy, and faithfulness. But there are at least four foxes, I think, that should be caught before they ruin our marriages. First, we must catch the fox that causes staleness in our marriage. Now, nobody likes staleness. You don't like stale water, do you? kind of smells after a while. A marriage becomes stale when a couple loses their fondness for each other. Now notice that we all start off as best friends, right? When you get married, we are all best friends. So we can't get enough of each other. There isn't anything we wouldn't do for each other. She loves to make herself attractive for him. He loves to bring her roses. The dream of a beautiful life together, and then they get married, the conflicts begin, they argue over space and over priorities, time for each other becomes scarce, staying attractive becomes a chore, 
and roses become too expensive. And guess what? The vineyard is threatened. Vineyard is threatened. Now notice how fond the couple in our text is of each other. She is his lily. He is her apple tree. She is his darling among other women. He is her beloved among other men. She delights in him. He finds her face lovely and her voice sweet. She feels refreshed by his apples. He finds her like a dove to be caressed. She can't wait to come home to him. He bounds over the hills like a gazelle to get to her. Gary, is that how you are when you come home to Kathy? <laughs> so the way that we prevent staleness in our marriage is by remaining fond of each other. That has to be an intentional thing. Secondly, we must catch the fox that causes distance in our marriage. Now, God gave us three priorities that every marital couple must observe. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. God said to Adam then and to Eve, his wife, Therefore, a man shall leave his mother, I'm sorry, shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Genesis 2, 24. And so let's notice the three things that God requires of each couple. They must leave their parents. That must be done physically and emotionally. They must hold tightly to each other. And then they must submit to one another and to the process of becoming one together. Let's notice what the woman in our text says. She says, Arise, my darling, come with me. My beloved is mine, and I am his. So this husband and wife are anything but strangers. They tell me sometimes that marriage is like two strangers in the same household. These, this couple is not that. This is not a marriage of convenience. They don't stay together just because it's convenient or just because of, of the sake of the children. She belongs to him, and he belongs to her. So they are, they are together. I believe that distance in marriage happens when um, two spouses go in different directions and are pursuing different things. And so he's going his way, she's going her way. Their interests are competing with each other rather than complementary. He is on one trajectory, she's on the other trajectory, and so distance happens. Whenever there is distance in the marriage, it leads to unhappiness in the marriage. And when there is unhappiness in the marriage, it opens us up to so many different temptations. But becoming one flesh is both couples sharing the same space, pursuing the same thing, worshiping the same God together, praying together, serving together, doing life together, crying together, laughing together. Working together, playing together. Two people submitting to each other in obedience to the Lord. And as a result of that, they eventually, over time, become one flesh. That's a mysterious thing that only God can explain. So listen to what God said in Malachi chapter 2 
and verse 15. He asked, some, he asked a rhetorical question, and then he says something. He says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? So he's talking, about hus he's talking to husbands now. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth. God wants every husband to experience oneness with his wife and every wife to experience oneness with her husband. He wants us both to belong to him in both body and in spirit. Here's the third fox that we must catch. That is a fox that causes enmeshment. Now that word means the absence of boundaries. The absence of boundaries. Healthy boundaries protect a marital couple. Well, you ask, well, what does a marital couple need to be protected from? They're young and they're strong, and maybe they're experienced. What do they need to be protected from? Every couple needs to be protected from their in-laws, from their extended family, from extramarital affairs, from workaholism that leaves us with very little in the tank to give to each other, from debt that is caused by spending more than we make. We all need to be protected from these things. Now, one of the things that I have noticed in the many years that I've been counseling, doing premarital counseling with couples is how enmeshed they are. How enmeshed they are. By that I mean that there are no healthy boundaries. And so extended family is all over their marriage. There's no privacy of details that are kept from them. And so they, everybody knows what is going on in everybody's relationship. I believe that couples need to learn how to self-differentiate from their extended family, from their family of origin, even from their parents. Now, and I also believe that parents need to release their children, their young adult children who are married, from any responsibility of sharing with them anything at all unless they want to share it with them. Now, when Randy and I were about to get married, and by the way, please notice that Randy has always been a daddy's girl, all right? She's always been a daddy's girl. When we were about to get married, her father, whom we call Pop, all right? Pop is 96 years old now, but Pop is still as young and as alert as anybody. But when we were, when we were about to get married, he sat us down and he said, he said to Randy, Randy, um, remember, you can always come back home, but don't come back without Theo. <laughs> and what he meant by that was, don't think you're going to bring your side of the story home and expect us to believe it. Make sure you bring him as well. I believe that was good advice. Now, the absence of healthy boundaries in marriages and relationships can lead to what is called the greener grass syndrome. You know what that means. We always feel like somebody else's marriage is better than ours. Somebody's wife is more attractive. Somebody's husband is hotter than ours. That's, we, there's, a, there's a tendency to feel that. But someone said that the reason why the grass looks greener on the other side is because it's not real. It is astroturf. And you think it's real, but it isn't. Now notice, as we look back at the couple in our text, that... It is not that 
he is the only one that she finds attractive. Because sometimes that happens. You can find somebody that's attractive. But notice what she calls him. She calls him my beloved among the young men. So she's, he's her beloved. And she is not the only one that he finds attractive either, but he calls her my darling among all the women. So she's his favorite. Now in Proverbs chapter 5, Solomon has some things to say to his son about boundaries. Building boundaries, even though he's not yet married. As a, and so young men and young women who are here who are not yet married, notice what Solomon shares with his son. He wants to warn his son against the seductiveness of the adulterous woman because they're out there, they're real. He says that her lips drip honey, her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter than gall and her feet lead to death. And so he's warning his young son to be careful to establish healthy boundaries and not allow himself to be seduced. Notice that the couple in our text is committed to finding fulfillment in each other rather than, than in the arms or bed of somebody else. And so we need to watch and guard ourselves against the fox that causes enmeshment. And the way we do that is by building boundaries that protect our marriage. Here's the final fox that we need to catch. That is the fox that causes dryness in the marriage. Now, many, many kinds of dryness can spoil a marriage. Firstly, there is spiritual dryness. And spiritual dryness results from our failure to allow God to constantly water our relationship through prayer, through worship, and through the Word. A, a marital couple must always be seeking God together, worshiping God together, allowing God to renew them spiritually. So there's spiritual dryness that can happen. Then there is emotional dryness which can happen as, a, as well. And this happens as a result of our failure to communicate with each other in loving ways, affirming ways. Thirdly, there is sexual dryness that results from our failure to minister to each other's needs for intimacy. Now, dryness in marriage is a dangerous thing. Dangerous thing. It opens us up to seek fulfillment in other things and in other persons. That's why affairs happen. That's why pornography happens. Now notice that the couple in our text is anything but dry. They get away often to refresh themselves in the beauty of God's creation. That is worship. They communicate with each other by telling each other things and calling each other names that are refreshing. Just go read that book for yourself. Read the entire book of Song of Solomon and you find out the intimate names they call each other and the details that they share with one another. These are affirming and refreshing to their emotions. They satisfy each other's needs for intimacy. 
And so spiritual dryness is avoided in our marriage when we find time to worship God together, to allow God to renew our marriage. Emotional dryness is avoided when we communicate in ways that affirm one another and build one another up. And sexual dryness is averted when we make ourselves available to each other for times of intimacy. Take me to your chambers, she says, and let's hurry. Now, Proverbs chapter 5 and verses 15 through 18 share a beautiful image of what sexual fulfillment looks like in a marriage. The uh, writer says that it's like a cistern, it's like a well, it's like a fountain, it's like a spring from which both couples can drink to their delight. And so let me just read these verses, and they won't make you blush, I promise you. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. Uh, Solomon is writing this to his son, and he says this, Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets, having sex just with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Good advice, isn't it? Everybody's gone so quiet on me right now. I never knew a message like this would make you so quiet. And so we catch the fox that causes dryness by availing ourselves of the refreshing that comes from God and the refreshing that comes from one another. Here's the bottom line of our message this morning. Husbands and wives must fight together against the things that can destroy their marriage. I once um, heard somebody explain it this way that a husband and wife must stand back to back, all right? So if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're looking at it this way, the husband stands this way and his wife, I mean, backs him this way, and that's a picture of them fighting together against everything else that is around them, everything that seeks to destroy their relationship. I have only one application point this morning, and... Here is where, if you are able, and I don't know how you will be able to, I'm going to ask Randy to join me here because she's my wife and she needs to be next to me. If you can find, if you can get next to your spouse, that would be great because this would be an activity that we can play together. And please trust me, this is not an embarrassing activity. In fact, it is, it is a scriptural thing, all right? There are some things that we're going to say to each other, um, but we're going to call each other's names as we're doing, it, doing that, okay? So I'm calling this application point, Practice the Dance of Mutuality. So I'm going to read a particular uh, sentence from Ephesians chapter 5, and then I'm going to call on the wives to um, repeat a commitment they're making to their husbands. I'm going to ask husbands to also read a commitment they're making to their wives, and then I will close out with another um, uh, a word of admonition to both of you, again, all based on Ephesians chapter 5. So, can you just stand um, together? Now, for those of you who are not married, um, I'm not in any way discriminating against you at all. Um, I'm not trying to um, suggest that, you know, we are better than you. 
I'm just really trying to practice a principle that is from God's word. So, uh, honey, yes, you can come and stand right next to me. All right. All right. So I'm going to read the, the part that says pastor. And then, wives, when you come to your part, you're going to call your husband's name while you repeat this to him. And um, husbands, when it comes to your part, you're going to call your wife's name as you repeat that to her. So I said to both husbands and wives, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then the wives would say, Husbands, now you'll call your wife's name as you say this. Uh, Randy, I will love you as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might present her to himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and without blemish. In the same way, I will love you as my own body. I will hold fast to you and we will allow God to make the two of us one flesh. So let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. 